0: But If you're new here today or you've been catching up with us in the last few weeks, we've been going through this series called Connected, and this is actually the last Sunday of that uh, where we're going through our vision, our mission, our values as a church. It's really a way that we uh, can be connected in a variety of ways, and and one of those ways is with our community, as we've been talking about in the last few weeks of this outward connection as a church. I just want to take a moment to talk to you about the Uh, Easter egg hunt that's coming up in a couple of weeks and it's kind of hard to understand what the importance of this event is. It might just on the surface seem like a a great way to fill kids with sugar and then send them home Uh, but it's actually so much more than that and we're being a lot more intentional this year to make sure we're having a good connection with the community and to be outreaching with people and so there's a few things I just want to explain so you know how you can be partnering in this. Uh, we already have all of the eggs packed, and we have 10,000-some eggs there, uh, which, is, which is great and impressive. But that's not going to bring any kid to Jesus, so it's, it's, it's more than that. Uh, really, a big part of this day is just being there and mixing with people. And one of the greatest values has been just if you're not involved in any specific way uh, as far as serving— just being there and just talking with people from the communities. And there's a lot of people who are not in churches and, and uh, who are coming kind of from the outside. Being there and mixing with them as a representat- uh, representative of, of the church and of Christ has a lot of value. So I encourage you, even if you're not signed up for anything, to show up uh, the morning before Easter at 10, 10.30 in the park over here. We do have a variety of ways you can be serving, uh, things from just placing the eggs to being a greeter and giving directions. Uh, One of the things we're doing this year is we're going to be, uh, rather than stuffing eggs with candy, uh, we're going to have them come to the table and then exchange the eggs for candy. And so that's a great way to be talking with people uh, in those places. We'll have our church information at at those tables where you can help out there. Uh, We are praying that there is snow on the ground for the Easter egg hunt this year. Because if it all melts before then, we're going to be in a huge mess. Uh, but one uh, additional thing we're doing this year is we're having a prize drawing at the end. And it's just simple prizes, kind of 10 to $20 in value. And we're, we're soliciting donations for that from anyone. Uh, if you have uh, any variety of toys, a uh, variety of age ranges and genders, we want to get the, a table full of a bunch of prizes that kids can be there for the drawing afterwards. But what that allows is for us as pastors, uh, both me and Wes from Christ Lutheran, are going to have a time to talk to the people and uh, really explain who we are and what we do and, and really give uh, the clear message that we love them, that we're there for them, but more importantly, that God loves them and that he's there for them. So that's going to be an important part of this whole thing, to really connect with the community. So that's another way. If you want to um, just donate uh, money or donate a prize, we're, we're accepting those things now and we're hoping to have a good amount of those available uh, for that day. But it's a great way to be reaching out into the community. Uh, in, in years past, we've, we've had great connections there as well. So I encourage you to be thinking about that, how you want to be involved, and, and just be in prayer for that whole uh, morning, especially the day before Easter, getting people then uh, connected with churches and hope that they're here uh, to hear the resurrection message and the gospel of Christ in that, that service. But as we dig into the last message of the series here, we've been focused primarily on evangelism For the last four weeks. Now this is the fifth and final week in evangelism, but that's just part of our overall effort as a church as we look at our vision, our mission, and our values. So this is the last time here I get to give you a pop quiz. We'll see how we've done. I think this is the eleventh week we've been talking about this. So let's try this here. What is the vision of our church? That was really good. I give it a solid A. Yeah, to be a place to connect. Our mission is threefold, it's to first, connect with God, second, connect with others, and third, connect others with God, A plus, all right, and our values, there's nine of them, I'm not even going to try that one here, because um, these, as you know, are really what support uh, the mission, which leads us to the vision, uh, what, these are the bedrocks of our community, uh, prayer, worship, biblical foundation, fellowship, discipleship. Christian unity, Christian service, local outreach, and global missions. And all of these things are not in any specific order. They all work together in harmony to achieve the mission, which is for us first to have a relationship with God, then to have a relationship with others, and then bring others into a relationship with God. And we see that as a cyclical mission, that others, as, as people are coming into that relationship with God, they grow to the point that they are disciples who are making disciples. And we just keep that mission going over and over and over again until the whole world is saved. And that's our goal through all of this, is that more and more come to Jesus and the kingdom grows. So as I said, we've been going through uh, the five weeks now, today, in evangelism. We kind of combined local outreach and global missions into one idea, which is simply sharing Jesus. Right? As Chris talked about last week in one of the commissions in Acts 1, it's, it's wherever you are that... Every soul around the world needs Jesus, and not one is more important than the other. But we've kind of been giving a direct charge to all of us here. Are we reaching people where we are at as a church? And that's the the last of the three goals that we set. We'll go through these kind of quickly again. The first goal is that we want everyone to be in the word and in prayer on a daily basis, that you're just giving God 10 minutes a day. And I've been hearing from a lot of you who have started uh, Bible Plans this year and and have been uh, devoting yourselves to this goal, that it's really having uh, impactful changes in your life. So we encourage you to do that. The other is to grow in relationships with one another, to be involved in a connection group, Bible study, small group, uh, uh, Connections Hour group, whatever that might be. Uh, But we want to see people involved in those and developing those relationships. But the big goal that I was talking about, if you're new here today is we have this goal to reach 200 people with the gospel in this calendar year. And roughly speaking, that means every regular attender of our church would be reaching one other person with the gospel of Christ. And this uh, means simply sharing the good news. And that's really our job as Christians is is just to share. And the rest is kind of up to God. Uh, But we've been getting some great stories coming in through our submission form, which this is the only way we know for sure if we're going to meet this goal, is if you let us know about it. So some of you have been filling out this form, a good number of you, on our website, and it's as much information as you would like to divulge. It could just be simply, yes, I shared the good news with someone, and uh, we'll know that that's between you and God, what happened there. You could share more of your story, or you can just talk with me, uh, write me an email or any of the staff, and uh, it's been fun. It's been fun hearing Uh, your stories and seeing your excitement, Uh, hearing from some of you that you've been a Christian a long time, but you've never shared the gospel with anyone, and you're nervous about it, and you did it, and they accepted Jesus as their Savior, and now you're excited to keep doing it again and again. And that's really what the church is supposed to be about, is this joy and this excitement to share Christ. And so, as we know of right now, we're at 14% of our goal, 28 people, uh, have been reached with the gospel of Christ. And I know in some of the situations that people have given their life to Jesus and the kingdom is growing. And so it's exciting to see these things. So as we get into the last part of our, ser- our series and our focus on evangelism, we're going to be reading out of kind of a familiar passage that a lot of people know, but we kind of forget about. This is out of Matthew 5, if you want to start opening up there. It's it's the section of scripture that talks about we believers being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And what this really is, is this outward focus as a church and as Christians that we are to be making an impact in the lives of others. The church doesn't exist to impact the church. The church exists to impact the world. And there's much value. In that endless value, eternal value, as we impact those around us. But I kind of thought about what that means, if, if we're impacting others or not, uh, what we could relate that to. And how many of you remember what happened six weeks ago this Sunday? It's a major cultural event. It has probably the highest engagement, engagement of people in our country, of anything else, six weeks ago today. Super Bowl. Yeah. The Super Bowl. Now, I, for one, uh, didn't watch the Super Bowl this year for the first time in a while. Uh, But I I, I learned that uh, 113 million Americans did. So that's roughly one out of every three Americans watched the Super Bowl. But I want to just have you imagine for a second, if both of these teams, the two best teams in the NFL, are coming together to play, if all they did was sit in the huddle all game. Both teams, 11 guys, in a circle, talking to each other, coming up with game plans and strategies and encouraging one another and telling each other how they're going to really win this game. But all they did was stay in the huddle. There would be 113 million very disappointed viewers. Both teams would not win, which means that everybody would lose. (laughs) And that's kind of what's happening here today is this is our huddle as Christians where we're kind of coming up with a game plan, we're encouraging one another, and we're looking at the ways we can make an impact on the field. But all, if all we do is stay in the huddle, then we're not an effective church. God calls us to be a church of impact. He calls us to be people of impact, to be the salt and the light, and to connect others with God. Now, I want to make clear all of this, our goal to reach people with the gospel, our our mission to connect others with God, is not our idea. This is not some creative moment by Pastor Dominic and the elders. This is God's design and expectation for the church, that we break from the huddle, and we go to the field. And when we do so, maximum impact. So we're going to read now this portion from Matthew 5, and if you're already there, let's just join together in prayer before we read the scripture today. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you do in us, that all you do through us, and it's amazing to think at times that you've entrusted this much to us. And so, God, I pray as we read today about being the salt and being the light, that we understand this is your grace to us. This is your, uh, your, your work in us and through us, and we are simply a part of it. And so, God, I pray that we would be faithful to that, that we would be excited and joyful about what it is you have for us to do, and that we can see you working through all of this, that we are part of something so much bigger Than ourselves. But I pray today, God, that you would speak to each of us individually, that we would truly understand how we can be people of impact, and that we'd be interacting with those around us in a way that that we become the salt and the light, your hands and your feet. God, that many would come to know you by your work through us. And so, God, I pray today that you'd speak to us individually. That this works out differently in all of our lives, but that you would really prompt us and convict us and spur us and encourage us towards your good deeds. That ultimately, Lord, that they'd work together to bring more into your kingdom. So God, I pray for my words today. That they, that they be your words, that your Holy Spirit would use them to reach every one of us and they'd be glorified in it. And we pray these things now in your name, Jesus. Amen. Or Matthew 5, we're going to read verses 13 through 16. You are the salts of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, this is very familiar text, and as I said, this is really explaining how we are to be people of impact, as salt of the earth and lights of the world. And this is really at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus speaking to his disciples, and there's, there's hundreds or maybe even thousands of people gathering and, and hearing what he's, he's saying, and really the, the crux of the Sermon on the Mount is what life is supposed to be like as a believer, that when you profess faith in Jesus, that your life changes, and, and you think differently, you talk differently, you, you interact with people differently, And at the very beginning of this, after he kind of lays out the Beatitudes, which are the intro to the sermon, he gives us these verses, which make it very clear that as you profess faith in Christ, you're going to interact in the world differently than you did before. And what's very important as we read this is he's not saying you should be salt and light, or you could be or have the potential to be, or, or I hope you are so pretty, pretty, please be. Jesus is saying, you are the salt, and you are the light. When you profess faith in Jesus, you become his representation and his impact in this world. And it reminds us that Jesus had one mission in in everything, and all he did was to reconcile people with God, that they would be taken out of their sin and, and into new life through Christ, that they were living in death, but now they are raised in new life in Jesus. Jesus had one mission, which was to redeem and reconcile people. And when you put your faith in him, you become a part of his mission. And that's why we are the salt and we are the light. And to understand these things and what this means in our everyday life, we're going to look at them one at a time here. As Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. This is a metaphor we kind of miss because salt for us is, is something you just kind of sprinkle on bland food or you throw down on an icy sidewalk Or it's something when you go through the drive-thru and you ask, could I have a package of salt, they give you 70, and so you throw 68 of them away. It's this thing that's kind of everywhere and used for a lot of things. But in this culture, salt was a precious resource. It was rare. It was valuable. And in fact, salt, pound for pound, had the same value as gold. You could exchange your salt for gold. And Roman soldiers were actually paid their wages in salt which I guess you could say makes them a seasonal worker. <laughs> Mandy said that one wasn't going to land. <laughs> but I knew you guys were smart enough to get me. Yeah, you were with me here. But even the, the expression, uh, you know, being worth your salt, is this, this idea that you promise to pay someone a certain amount of salt for their work, and if they don't measure up to those standards, they don't get the salt. Salt was something very valuable, and it had one main purpose in this society, which was to preserve things. Now, they didn't have refrigerators like we have now. They didn't have supermarkets. They'd have people go out to fish, and sometimes they'd be successful, sometimes it would be not. And if they had baskets full of fish, you either had to eat all of those fish that day, or you had to preserve them. And what they do is they pack these fish or their foods and salt and preserve them for a number of days or weeks. And so when Jesus is saying that we as believers are salt of the earth, he's saying that we are precious and valuable, that we're not a common commodity, and we have the function which is to preserve and enhance the earth or the people around us. so this practical application for us is that that we see this world really decaying from sin, right? And there's a lot of sin in the world that that brings up all sorts of pain and problems and hardships and sickness and and even death itself as the result of sin directly or indirectly. That we as Christians are part of what preserves this earth and the people here. And it's not because of who we are and our skills and our attributes, but what God has done through us. And when you become a believer in Jesus, the gospel becomes alive in you, the good news of Jesus. And people are now seeing something different about you that brings them to the place of wondering what's going on. And how do I have what you have? Being the salt of the earth really talks about your characters and your qualities as an individual And we see the same kind of comparison in Galatians 5, where salt means you're different than the world. Galatians 5 tells us about this freedom in Christ that we have. And when you have this freedom in Jesus, you become a different person. You're different than the world. You're no longer uh, swept up or reflecting the acts or the vices of the flesh or the old self. Things like sexual immorality and, and impurity. You're not swept up in hatred and discord and idolatry and and rage and selfish ambition and and envy and the list goes on. That's the old self, right? But when you are a Christian, you exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. Things like love and peace and joy and forgiveness and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When you become a Christian, your character, your whole self is changed. And you become a preservative in this decaying world. And there's danger in losing that impact. If the salt is no longer salty, what is it good for? If a Christian is just like the rest of the world, what is their testimony good for? And Jesus says that this is the salt that is just thrown onto the road and trampled underfoot. And in this time, if, if salt was mixed with too many minerals and it was compromised, it would lose its saltiness. You couldn't even throw it out in the field in the dirt because that would, you know, that would uh, kill the plants. You had to put it in the road and it would be pulverized into dust. And this is not a verse saying that if you don't become perfect, you lose your salvation. Right? This is saying if, if you are not exhibiting the qualities of a Christian, you lose your impact. We are to be the salt of the earth and help to preserve and enhance the world around us. He goes on from there and says, you are the light of the world. Now, this is an analogy or a metaphor that's easier for us to understand. Because all of us have probably had that moment where you've been in the pitch dark and you cannot see a thing. Maybe it's at home, you you come out of your room late at night and you don't turn on the light and you trip over the shoes in the hallway or you you bump into the corner of the table and you get the charley horse in your leg. But all you need is just one little light to see your way. And if you've been in pitch darkness before, all you need is one little candle in the room and everyone's eyes will focus on the light. That's the quality we have as Christians which is to be one that dispels darkness and attracts people. In Philippians 2, verse 15, Paul has the same idea that when you're a Christian, you're different than you were before. And he says that believers are to shine as light in the world. And the word for light here is also translated as beacon, like something from a lighthouse right, that shines out. And it gives people this sense of safety and hope, and they're attracted to that beacon. And that's what the church is to be to the world in darkness, is this beacon of hope that people see something different here that attracts them. So Jesus says, you, you don't just bury this light under a bowl, right? You don't waste that precious resource, but you put it on a lampstand in the center of the room that it It beams everywhere around you and everyone can see it. As we are to be people of impact, it's that we are to let our light shine before others. But what's important in all of this is to note that it is not actually our light. It's Jesus, the true light of the world, who's shining through us. We simply reflect God's glory to others. Just like in a pitch dark night when there's a full moon and, and it's, it's shining into the, to the uh, world around you. You can see things. That's actually not the moon's light. It's just the reflection of the sun that you cannot see reflecting off of the moon and into the darkness. That's what believers are to be like. is the reflection of the light of Christ into the people around you. Being salt and light in this scenario are not a measure of your strength or your aptitude. But it's a sign of God's grace, a sign of God's ability to hand this ministry over to us and trust us with it, that we're used and we're impactful where we are. We're to be people of impact. As you look at that, you might say to yourself, how do I do this? So we've been talking about evangelism. How do I actually share Jesus with people? So kind of the second part of today's message is I'm going to try to summarize all five weeks in about 12 minutes. I have five keys to sharing your faith. And this is really just what we can walk away with today, really practical steps of what you can be doing. And I, I have them listed here, but the first and the most important thing in all of this is to cover everything in prayer. As we talked about two weeks ago, to be fervent or to be persistent in prayer one of the greatest things you can do as a Christian is pray for those who need Jesus. And a couple of weeks ago, I challenged you to think of a name or think of three names of people in your life who need Jesus and commit to praying for them every single day until they know Jesus. And there's those moments in your life where you think there's no way they will ever come to know Jesus. I've shared the gospel with them multiple times. I've been an example. The other people, they know the truth and they reject it. Continue to pray for them. And I remember reading a story of a wife who had prayed for her husband for 60 years, every single day, until he finally gave his life to the Lord. But she never stopped and never gave up. But sometimes you're praying for someone who needs Jesus, and then God opens up the door in 60 seconds. And it's amazing what happens in those moments. But be praying for those who need Jesus. But at the same time, pray for those who share Jesus. And this could be yourself. This could be others around you. This could be the pastors. This could be the missionaries, which is a really important thing. And, and any missionary we support financially will tell you what's more important is that we support them in prayer. And just a reminder, we have this great resource in the foyer of a missionary prayer guide that you can be committing to yourself to to, to pray for these missionaries around the world. But it could be Bible study leaders. It could be Sunday school teachers. Pray for the people who share Jesus, that God would open up the doors and that they could proclaim the message clearly as they should. But in this, if you know that there's someone you want to share Jesus with, have others pray for you too. And a few weeks ago, there's a member of one of our um, women's Bible studies that, that was preparing herself to share Jesus with one of her friends that she's known for a number of years. And the women in that group prayed for her, and, and she had this moment and this opportunity to proclaim the gospel clearly as she stood. We'll cover all of this in prayer. But I think maybe most important, what I've been impacted by throughout this series and even over the last couple of years that we need to pray that we can love people like Jesus did, that we can be like Jesus. And what's amazing, as you read the Bible, Old Testament and, and New, every part of it is steeped in this compassion and this love of God for people. And even throughout the Old Testament, where it seems doom and gloom in some areas, it's all rooted in God's love for people. And Jesus was so deep in compassion for people that he literally wept over them at one point, that Jesus loves people so deeply. Can we pray that we love people like that, that we're burdened by the fact that there's people living around us who are going to hell if they don't put their faith in Jesus, and that we know that we have the answer, and we have the gospel and the words that usher people into life from death. Pray that we would have the same compassion for them that Jesus does cover everything in prayer. That's the first and the most important point of all of this because this is a spiritual activity and we need spiritual power in this. The next is to know God's word and this is where we see our goal of of reading the Bible daily uh, kind of play even into our other goal of sharing Jesus. To be able to share God's word is to know God's word. To share the gospel is to know it. And every part of this book is about the gospel of Jesus, that he has come to save us from our sin and bring us into new life. And that really means as you read this, you're going to understand even just the basics of the gospel in a more complete way. And you can study the gospel your whole life and not fully understand it. But as you study the scriptures, you'll understand it more and more. And one uh, kind of acronym we gave is so you understand the gospel. We've shared this a couple of times now. Uh, I'm not even sure where this comes from, but a lot of people seem to be familiar with this, is that if you break out gospel as an acronym, that G means that God created us to be with him, that there's this desire of God to know every person. And this is really the summation of Genesis 1 and 2. O, our sins separate us from God, that's Genesis 3. S, that our sins cannot be removed by good deeds, that's Genesis 4 through basically all of the Old Testament. Our good deeds cannot remove our sins. No work of man can forgive us our sins. But P, paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. That's what we're going to be celebrating here in a couple of weeks with Easter, and that's really Matthew, Mark, Luke. E, everyone who puts their trust in Jesus and repents will have eternal life. Jesus is the life. That's the Gospel of John. And L, life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever that's really Acts through Revelation, the rest of the New Testament. Every part of the Bible is steeped in the gospel. And as you study it, you're going to understand the gospel more and more. And with that, you can memorize these key verses that are going to be helpful when you share the gospel with others. Things like John 3.16, which probably a lot of us know. know. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That is the gospel in itself, or John 14, 6, that Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody can go to the Father except through him. But there's key verses you can memorize that are going to be very helpful. And if you want a list of 5 or 10 or 20, just shoot me an email or talk to me. I'd be be happy to get those to you you as you work on that. Now, third, this is going to be a really important part of this, is you need to proactively build relationships with people around you. And I I asked you a couple of weeks ago to, to, in your mind, just think of one person. I gave you about five seconds to think about it. Think of one person in your life who needs Jesus. And I hope all of you had a name or a person pop into your mind. But if you're saying, there's no one I know that needs Jesus, and you're surrounded by only Christians and believers in your life, it might be time to kind of expand your circle a bit. Because we as a church are designed to be in the world, not of the world, but we're we're supposed to mix with unbelievers. Of Of course, considering the direction of influence here, that we want to be an influence and impactful on them and not vice versa. But you need to proactively build relationships with those around you. And we saw Jesus do that very well. He was always mixing with the outcasts and the sinners and those deemed by the religious society to not be worth anything but those are the people that he spoke with and he built relationships with and that means being intentional to develop these relationships not just simply waving at a neighbor and knowing their face but knowing their name and knowing things about them and asking them questions and building that relationship at a deeper level now a couple of years ago in the fall of 2021 we had a series in which we focused on that and if you were here in that time you know that I challenged you with this sheet and it's basically looking at your house as a grid approximately nine homes around you if you live in a neighborhood and can you at least from memory a would be do you know the names of the people in that house and for me I struggled with this which really convicted me I didn't know all the names of my neighbors And B would be, do you know something more specific about them? Where do they work? How many children do they have? And and then C would be very specific things about them. What are their dreams and their aspirations? What do they believe about God? But as you fill that out, you get to know your neighbors and you can build relationships with them. And one of the things I challenged you to at the end of that is once you know their neighbors, find a way to get them all together and have a get-together, a social time of some kind, and build those relationships. And we had one family from our church do just that, and I'm going to actually invite Ron up right now to share his experience with that, that he he and Mary Jo got to know their neighbors, and they invited them over for a time of fellowship. And Ron, if you want to stand right here. So Ron, may you tell us more about... uh, what it is that, that you did, and, and uh, what kind of...
1: Yeah, we, uh, <clears throat> we were praying for our neighbors and uh, trying to figure out a way to get to know them better, and, and that's when you challenged the whole church um, with this... Well, you showed the, the grid that you challenged us with it. Um, we, we were just uh, trying to think of different ways to do it, and uh, Mary Jo um, put together a list... Of people around us, neighbors, <clears throat> and it's about 21 different people, and you can see it's it's a pretty extensive list. Um, she wrote down their names, um, uh, like you said, what maybe what their job is, uh, what their children do they have children, and what are the children doing? Even people our age, you have grandchildren, and so people love to talk about that. So find out. Um, where they are with that. If they have a uh, illness, they're going to have an operation or something. She's she's got a lot of that down there too. Um, we started watching for people walking by with with dogs. Um, we'd go out and say hi, and we've said hi to you and Mandy with Britta as they walk by. So Mary Jo's gotten to know most of the dogs in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> and I've been challenged too to. You know, if I'm reading the sports page and I see somebody walking by, okay, put it down for a little bit and go out and say hi. So uh, we've, we've done that. Um, neighbors on one side of us have a garage that it's one of those garage floors that, you know, it's, it's nicer than any house has. I mean, it's just one of those immaculate garages. And they have a big-screen TV, and they invite people can come and go and stuff. neighbor on the other side of us has a fire pit. It's a big fire pit. It's got the um, patio block all around it, chairs, like eight or nine chairs. And neighbors come and just sit by the fire in spring, summer, and fall. So we got to know uh, seven of our neighbors really well at that fire pit. So that's been um, very encouraging. Um, So we decided, Mary Jo decided pretty much, (laughs) that it was our turn to host something, to do something. So we had what we call a garage open house where you could just come and go. Mary Jo made flyers, just what time it is, uh, what day. Um, And she went door to door and handed those out. She didn't call people. She went door to door. So there's a personal contact. So she went to about thirty different houses, and um, she was gonna make um, appetizers and you know dip and sloppy joes. And we're, so we decided to have it on a Friday uh, before Orno High School football game. So like from four to six thirty. So that's uh, after she handed out the flyers, we were committed. <laughs>
0: How how did that turnout go? Like what?
1: Yeah, um, so we invited like 30 people. Um, as it got closer, we got a little nervous. Um, you know who's who's gonna come? We don't keep keep um, inviting them. You know, you just invite them and hope they come. So we're praying about it. But we got a little nervous, so we went a little farther out. Um, uh, Dominic and Mandy lived about a block and a half away, so let's invite Dominic and Mandy. We invited some other friend, or another couple that we knew that were just a little beyond our neighborhood. So there we there we got six, you know, that we think will come for sure. So um, um, so that day came, and we ended up with like 27 people. It was it was fantastic. Um, so. People came and went as they chose. A lot of people stayed. Neighbors right across the street um, were very new. I, I don't know how, how long they were there. I don't remember. But maybe it was less than a couple months, I think. They were very new to the neighborhood. They came across the street and spent a little time there, and they got to know a lot of the neighbors. So it was, it was really, really very successful. We had two men that are single, that we were really hoping would come, and they didn't make it. But then they apologized later on and said they, they'd they like to come to another one if we had another one. Um, one of them, the neighbor, um, a tree fell down, and part of it's on our lawn right now. So this spring we're thinking, okay, we can get to know him a little better by helping with that. Um, another one <clears throat> lives just a few houses down and I've got his phone number, and I've met with him a couple times for coffee. So that's, that's worked out really well, too. Okay.
0: Well, what advice would you give to people here if they're thinking about doing this? Um,
1: Mary Jo's idea was to uh, get a dog. Start walking around the neighborhood (laughs) because if you meet another dog, you know those two dogs they gotta get together. So that forces you to say hi. So, (laughs) but if you don't have a dog, there's there's a lot of different ideas. A cookie exchange at Christmas, or um, uh, VBS has flyers that the church passes out. Grab some of those and take them to neighbors. Right now, the Easter egg hunt. These things are in the back. Go grab a few, and if you know neighbors have have kids, invite them. If they have grandchildren, maybe they'd go get their grandchildren and bring them to the Easter egg hunt. Um, if they're working outside, just go ask if you can help. Um, like Pastor said, um, ask people about their kids, especially kids and grandkids. Every, I mean. I love to talk about my grandkids and my my kids, what's going on. So ask them about that. Uh, Two real quick stories that came from knowing your neighbors. Um, We had a neighbor next door that back at 9-11, he was a young man, uh, probably late 20s, early 30s. And when 9-11 happened, it really shook him up. And he asked us about our pastor here, Pastor Donnelly at the time, and could he talk to him? And well, sure, you know. And so he went and talked to him, and um, Pastor Donnelly, just like just like um, you, got around to sharing the gospel with him, of course. And he accepted Christ that day and asked him into his life. Um, another one, our neighbor next door, has been a widow for many years, and <clears throat> when she was in her I think late seventies, mid seventies she lost a son, died, and she asked if Pastor Donnelly would do a committal service for him. She doesn't go to church and and so we said, Well, I'm sure he would and, and he did. And then she lost another she lost a daughter like a few years later. And you know, it was just heartbreaking. And so she came and asked the same thing, would he do that again? And of course he did and he shared the gospel at both of those instances, so get to know your neighbors um, good things will happen.
0: Well thank you, Ron, for sharing that and and uh, you know I must admit it was still an honor to be invited even as the last resort so um, but it was it was a great it was a great time and uh, getting to know some of my extended neighbors and building the relationships there. But I'll say in these, these instances, when you do something like that, when you get to know your neighbors and kind of become a hub of the neighborhood and, and put together these kinds of efforts, people respond very well to it. And these are the things that will help you build those relationships to move you on to kind of the next step in this whole process. And I know I said this is going to take 12 minutes. We're getting close. Don't panic here. Um, I'm going to give you all three of these at once. And it's really when God opens a door, when, when relationships are built, God gives you an opportunity Take advantage of it. Walk through the open doors that God gives you. And it's really knowing when to act, when to listen, and when to speak. Now, the the scriptures are clear in the book of James that we're to be slow to speak and quick to listen. And I think with evangelism sometimes, or sharing the gospel, we just want to jump straight to the thing without kind of laying down the groundwork and building relationships and, and trust and I'm not going to say that it's, it's not, uh, that it doesn't work to do maybe street evangelisms or pass out tracts, because those things definitely do work, and I know people who have come to Jesus in that sense, but, but more often than not, there's going to be more uh, solid return uh, when you build that relationship with people, and, and they kind of see you as a salt and a light. And one of the best ways you can kind of build that trust in that relationship is just meeting the tangible needs of people around you, like Ron said he's got a neighbor with a downed tree. to say, hey, I'd love to help you clean up the tree or help them rake up the the leaves in their yard, but some sort of tangible way to meet the needs around you. And sometimes it can be something more, that they they need financial assistance or they need food or whatever it might be. Know when to act and and know that actions often speak louder than words. And as we read in Being the Light of the World, that, that people will see the good deeds you do and they will glorify the Father. And they understand that you become the hands and the feet of Christ in those moments. But also just listening to people. One of the best things you can do as you build these relationships is if someone is is having a hard time, listen to them and be engaged and and make eye contact and ask follow-up questions and get to know them and understand the pain or the hardship that they're walking through. And then know when to speak in that. And that's, this is the hard part, is what do you say in moments like this? And, and I'll tell you, um, I volunteer as a police chaplain as well, and I don't get called to many things. But when I do get called to the moments, they're awful, awful moments. I don't know what to say, but I know I can pray with them. And those moments, it, you know, this is a very high um, positive response from people. Even if they don't know God, say, I, I don't know what to say, but can I pray with you? There's a really uh, good interaction. That's a great door to walk through, and you can exemplify the gospel alive in your uh, the gospel alive in your life. Just pray with people, or maybe ask questions. You know, as you're getting to know uh, people, the three best questions you can ask in terms of evangelism are: What do you believe about God? Namely, do you believe God exists? And statistically, most people believe, or are at least open to the belief of God of some kind. What do you believe about Jesus? And the third most important question is, how do you believe you go to heaven? Those three questions, what do you believe about God? What do you believe? Who is Jesus to you? And how do you go to heaven are the most important questions you can ask. But then know when to speak. And then on on that, you're going to know when the right time is to share your story. And by that, I mean your testimony. What God has done in your life is completely unique to you. And last week, Chris said it's kind of like snowflakes. There's no snowflake is the same. And I think indirectly he was calling you snowflakes uh, last week. But every person has a different story, and they're all uniquely powerful. Write your story down. Know what your life is like through Christ, and be prepared to share that with others. But ultimately, in all of this know that it's not your story as much as it's God's story and you. All of this is to bring people to Jesus, and all of it is communicating that it's not me, it's Jesus. And I always communicate your confidence in Christ above all else and bring them to this point of realizing who they are before the gospel that there's this moment of admitting or acknowledging their sin or the problem they have and believing in Jesus as the solution that his sacrifice paid for their sin and, and having this confession of Jesus as Lord. But all these things, if you want me to just send these to you in an email, I know we kind of flew through them, even though it was longer than I said, uh, let me know. But, but bring these things home and start thinking and praying about who you want to pray for. Because as we look back to this goal, reaching 200, and this is just what I'll end with today, This is an arbitrary goal of 200 we set, right? Whether we left the the year at 1 or 4,000, any number of people to know the gospel and hear the gospel is is a success. But we have all of these people left that we want to reach. And there's uh, a certainty that one of those people is in your life. Think about who that is and be praying for them. Be reading God's word and, and build relationships with them Walk in obedience to the open doors God has for you and share the message that God has written in your heart and your life, his message of salvation. Be the salt and the light of the world. Let's close in prayer. Well, Lord, as we, we walk through this and understand the goal that we have, it's, it's not our goal. It is your command that you call us to be impactful in this world, to be the salt and the light. God, I pray for all of us now as we think about this, as we pray about this, that we would not be relying on ourselves, that we would be fully trusting and leaning on you and all you have for us. So, God, I pray that you would fill us up now as your people and send us out, that we could be missional people, that we would love to share your story and to see the world be changed through your gospel of truth and grace and love. So, God, help us to be the salt and the light that you command us to be, that we do this in your uh, power and your strength and for your glory. We pray this now in your name, Jesus. Amen.